Welcome to Practically Christian. I'm Janelle, and I'm here with my husband, Luke. Hi, everyone. And our friend, Jake. Hey, guys. We share conversations that help you know Jesus more deeply and follow him more faithfully. The truth is, no one has arrived at Christ's likeness. To grow in that direction, we believe you need authentic relationships and biblical theology applied to your everyday life. We hope that you're encouraged to grow and to live out the biblical truths that we discuss on this episode. Let's get practical and dive into a conversation about Genesis 1 and what it can teach us about who God is and who we are. All right, to get this conversation started, uh, I wanted to see if either of you guys had stories about a time when you totally misunderstood the context of something, and because you misunderstood the context, like, you totally got the situation wrong, uh, you embarrassed yourself or someone else. So mine, it was, I feel so stupid telling the story to the public, but this is what happened. So I was a receptionist at a medical school and um, just interacted with lots of random people all day long who came in and I would talk to everybody who came through the doors basically. And one time someone came up from behind and asked me, do you know Ed Black? And our president's name was Bob Black at the time and I was in work mode and I was like, who are you talking about? How can I help you get connected to the person you need to talk to? Because that's my job and that's why I'm here. But these guys are laughing because Ed Black is literally my dad. So someone came up and asked if I knew my dad and I was like, are you talking about the president? Like, what are you talking about? Because I was in my work zone. It was really embarrassing and I had to like actually like chase that person down in the hall because I was like, he was like, oh, I must have the wrong person. There was like some connection that he knew somebody who knew my dad, but I was in the work zone. So my context of work threw me out of my context of family. And yes, I do know my father. His name is Ed Black. That is just so fitting because when you get into work mode, you are like crazy. Like Janelle will like dehydrate herself and like (laughs) not take any breaks or eat or drink things for like hours at a time. I'm in the zone. I'm in the zone. Yeah. You get in the zone. You stay in the zone. It's very impressive (laughs) and kind of scary. (laughs) I don't think I have one. (laughs) All right. That's right. Well, just with Janelle's story alone, like, uh, I mean, it's just this clear thing that if you get the context wrong of something, you can totally misunderstand what's going on. And we know context is important for everything from, you know, listening into one side of a phone conversation or email or whatever's going on. Like the context is important for understanding that. And I think that when it comes to Genesis 1, we often miss out on the ancient context. And because of that, we often totally misunderstand what it's trying to teach us. So the inspiration of scripture means the Bible was written for us, but not originally to us, which means that if we understand it correctly, we have to seek to understand the original meaning for the original audience. So let's talk a little bit about the original, um, I want to say worldview that Genesis 1 is talking about. Yeah, I mean, so I think one of the things that we need to understand is that they're coming from a polytheistic society. Mm -hmm. And when um, this is being written, 
they're coming out of Egypt when Moses is getting or writing the story uh, after that period, and that they probably know a lot about all of the Egyptian mythology. They were trapped there for 400 years. Mm -hmm. They probably know all of the creation myths and all of what's going on with that religion. And they might not know very much about Yahweh Mm. at all. I mean, even like Moses, when he meets Yahweh for the first time, he's like, who are you? (laughs) What's going on? Yeah. So I think that's one of the big things. And then one of the ones that kind of catches me from that is that in a lot of the ancient myths, the sea monsters are fighting the gods and like mm-hmm. the, the gods are order and the sea monsters are disorder. Yep. And there's like this clash going on. And in Genesis, when it, when it talks about God creating the fish, it also says in your translation, probably like he created the great fish or the big fish or the sea monsters. It literally means the great big sea creatures yeah. is the same kind of way they would have talked about these sea monsters that the gods were fighting. And it's like, oh yeah, God created them with the fish. Mm-hmm. And so it's showing that God's power mm-hmm. is so much bigger than, yeah. than that. Yeah. Well, and it's interesting too, because it's not, it's not correcting that misunderstanding. It doesn't say, by the way, there are no sea monsters, end of story. I mean, maybe they were thinking of, you know, like huge whales and sharks and stuff. But based off of other ancient mythologies, they probably had in mind like, this Leviathan-like creature that probably didn't really exist. It was more mythological. Or like the Kraken. <laughs> yeah, or yeah, yeah. And like, yeah, Genesis 1 doesn't say like, yeah, sea creatures like that don't exist. It's like, yeah, whatever sea creatures there are, actually God created them, and it just leaves it at that. And so it's this weird thing where it looks like Genesis 1 is not trying to correct scientific misunderstandings. Um, another one that always confused me when I was younger is when... Um, on day two of creation, when God separates the waters. I was like, wait, what? Because it describes God separating water from water. I was like, what does that even mean? And that the space in between is the sky. I'm like, okay, yes, sky, but there's not water up there. But in, in ancient thinking, you look up and the sky is blue. What else is blue? Water's blue. And it rains. And yeah, sometimes the windows of heaven open and it rains. So there's got to be water up there. Like that's the ancient understanding of the way the world looks and works. And then um, another one is like when the Bible talks about the pillars of the earth um, and kind of this understanding and assumption that there's water underneath the ground too. That's like the earth is kind of on this island and there's water down there too. Um, And why do they think that? Well, because when you dig, if you dig long enough, what do you find? You find water. So there's water down there. There's water up there. Um, and I, again, my point is right, that um, God in his wisdom didn't feel the need to be like, no, you guys think there's water up there? There really isn't. That's not how it works. Let me teach you about condensation. Like, that's not what Genesis 1 does. Going back to the Leviathan thing, isn't the Leviathan like all over the Bible, like Job isn't that one of God's evidences of his power is the Leviathan? So you just said the Leviathan probably didn't exist. Is that what you really meant? Yeah, it's a fair question. Um, so Job is also an ancient book, probably older than Genesis even is. And so I think it's reflecting, well, let me think about it. Actually, I don't know what I think. I think the Leviathan existed slash exist. Mm-hmm. I just feel like it's a large sea creature that they 
had mythical properties attributed to it mm. that may or may not exist. I see. But the fact that it existed yeah. is real. Uh, yeah, I don't know. Because I, I think in some ways, large sea creatures live in large sea creature places, which is not right on the shoreline. And of the Mediterranean. Of the Mediterranean. Sea. And in the ancient world, people didn't travel very far and they didn't travel over oceans. So even if there were giant creatures, I don't know if they even would have known about them. I don't know. That's <laughs> I would disagree. I would say even if you lived near a little hamlet, who was the talk of the town? The person who came in from outside and could tell you what was going on beyond your borders. And mm-hmm. so anything that they tell you is what you would hear. So you would hear about things. It was an oral culture. Yeah, no, what I'm saying, though, is I don't think any anyone in the entire world would have been in a place to see I a disagree. giant sea monster. I feel like giant creatures of the sea are found in various ways, mm-hmm. and it would have been the kind of thing that people would talk about. Yeah. So I think my point was more, okay, so maybe maybe there was a Leviathan, and that's what they're talking about. My point is more when you read, like, the Numa Leash or these other creation epics from the ancient Near East uh, during this time... When they describe creation and why it happened and what was going on, it's a lot about, like, the gods had to tame these violent sea monsters that were causing all this chaos. So it was almost integrated with this view of the world, like, oh, why is there a storm on the sea? It's because the sea monsters are fighting right now. Um, There was a lot of that kind of thinking of, like, Mm. the, the chaos in the world is there because of... There's a cosmic battle going on that you can't see, and that's why all this stuff is happening. Yeah. But that's fair. Yeah, that's fair. I just think the Leviathan's real because God describes him. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it makes sense. So, I don't, I don't think that's like a mythological creature that he's saying, like, have you thought of a unicorn and how beautiful it is? And look at his beautiful <laughs> horn. Like, that would be ridiculous yeah. because unicorns aren't real. So, I think he was describing real animals mm-hmm. in Job. Yeah. So, I think the Leviathan's real. Anyway, side note, tangent, sorry, we can get back to (laughs) our topic for today. So the point is that in God's wisdom, the way he inspired scripture is that it it doesn't seem like he felt the need to correct scientific, maybe misunderstandings or incomplete understandings about the way the world worked. Or even cultural misunderstandings, right? So even if we talk about like the Leviathan as existing, the Leviathan's not fighting the gods and causing Mm -hmm. the big waves. Right. Yeah. So... My question is, why do you think God didn't do that? Like, he could have inspired Moses, presumably, and taught Moses about condensation and precipitation, and that the earth is actually a sphere, and about gravity, and yet in his wisdom, he chose not to do that. Like, why do you think? Yeah, I mean, I, I feel like he was shaping their essential worldview, and some of those things are peripheral. Like, honestly... The fact that I do have this scientific understanding doesn't affect my day-to-day. Mm. It doesn't affect, you know, my yeah. life to know that I just look at my weather app on the phone and find out whether I can plan my Friday event or whatever it is. It so, affects the day-to-day life of the weather people who come up with that stuff. Yeah, I'm just saying, like, if God were to correct something in me, why would he correct something trivial? Yeah. When there are big, bigger issues at mm. hand, I want to say. So, I don't know. Yeah. God is trying to say, hey, you should worship me because I'm the only God Mm. or I'm the only true God, depending on the Mm. context, not, hey, let me teach you about how electricity works and lightning Mm -hmm. because one of them is much more important and the Israelites are going to get struck by lightning just as much 
whether 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 they know about it or not. Yeah. Yeah, I, I would just say essentialism yeah. or like what's, yeah, what's important, important to know yeah. for the way that you live. Yeah. Yeah, no, I think that's very true. I think like, God's heart is was he would wanted to communicate with his people and help them understand who he was. Well, I think the other one of the other things is that part of being in creation is discovering how creation works. Um, so like it's God doesn't just tell people how it's going like how it works because part of the image of God is exploring and figuring out how it works. Yeah, no, I totally agree. Actually, that's one of the the things I was thinking about with this question is that like God gives the commission to humans to rule over the earth and subdue it. And in essence, like, you know, create culture, figure things out, do experiments. And part of that, a little subset is in essence, like do science, like figure out how this world I gifted you works. And so I think part of the answer is like, God didn't want to spoil the fun or take away the, the job and commission he gave humans to have. The journey is half the fun, right? Yeah. As I, yeah, to a certain extent, I would say there could be someone who says, well, it would have been nice to have medical knowledge earlier. Mm -hmm. And is it just because medical knowledge discovery was so fun that Mm. that doesn't justify all the people who died of preventable diseases because I didn't know they were preventable or well, that's actually kind of funny because I think in some ways in Leviticus, God gives them medical knowledge and doesn't tell them why it works. Mm-hmm. That's yeah. true. So what what are you referring to, Jake? So like he talks, uh, it, it basically talks about like the signs of leprosy or like these different diseases and like how to figure out those signs, but not being like, this is a germ, but being like, it's bad if it's like this. And if it's it's not bad if it's like this. Yeah. yeah so um, kind of like setting different quarantines and different yeah. regulations on whether mm-hmm. an arc of clothing with a certain kind of mold had to be destroyed or exactly. whether it could just right. be cleaned. Or, or how a boil looked to sell it, see if it was a disease or just a boil mm-hmm. kind of thing. I yeah. just thought that's... Yeah. And some of the laws, it's interesting too. It's like, I can't believe this needed to be a law. It's like, if an animal dies in your food, don't eat that food. It's like... Yeah, <laughs> but they needed laws about that because they didn't know that. <laughs> and probably because it was expensive. It was yeah. a loss. Like, yeah. you're taking a loss. Yeah, it's true. So anyways, yeah, I mean, he does use medical knowledge. That's, I just thought that was kind of fun. Yeah, yeah it is. Well, this all raises the question. If Genesis 1 is not trying to, like, correct our scientific understanding of the world, or that's not at least primarily what it's doing, and we, again, we know there's different views on Genesis 1 and how that goes with science. And we're actually going to talk about that in our next episode, um, science versus creationism. Um, but in this episode, we want to answer the question and focus on, if that's not primarily what Genesis 1 is doing, what is it primarily doing? And again, that just brings us back to the ancient context. And so um, Janelle, you and I went to a Christian college. We took, uh, where Old Testament was a required class. So we had to take an undergraduate college class in Old Testament. Now you teach those classes. Yes, I do. <laughs> Jake, you had the same experience. So my question is, um, from what you guys remember from the ancient context, um, aside from Genesis one, what were other stories at this time? What were they saying about the nature of the gods or humanity and the world and our place within it. So as a classic A student who crams before exams, I remember just generally that there were other creation accounts that involved chaos to create and that people were 
essentially like an afterthought or like servants mm-hmm. or like some kind of subservient beings. That's all I remember. Yeah. Oh, that's good. That's all true stuff. Yeah. What about you, Jake? Well, I think it, uh, kind of going off of that, the Greek myths, which probably come a little bit later, mm-hmm. yeah. involve like the humans getting fire is considered like a bad thing because they're f- kind of becoming free from their mm-hmm. slavery. Yeah. Um, I think the other one is that like the the kings and the rulers used them to promote themselves as the actors of God and the people as subjects in that way. Whereas like the ruler of like the king of Samaria is in the image of God, but no one else is. Mm -hmm. And he's the voice of God. um, And everyone else is just a servant Mm -hmm. kind of idea. Yeah. Yeah. So Janelle going off of what you said, that's very true. Uh, Almost all the other creation accounts we found from this kind of area, the ancient near East if you look at how did creation happen and who are the major players there, it's always, first of all, polytheism. There's a bunch of gods. And then number two, creation happened because these gods got into a fight, in essence. So, like, um, the Enuma Elish is one of the more famous ones that many of you might be familiar with or at least heard the name thrown around. But in that story, like, Marduk, the hero, um, takes Tiamat, the goddess of the sea and chaos... And kills her and rips her body in half and interestingly throws half of her body up in the air, which forms the sky and the waters above. And then the other half is the sea um, that has now been tamed. And um, that's how creation happens, through the fighting of the gods. So uh, it's just interesting to look in Genesis 1 in light of that. It's like, oh, yeah, there aren't a bunch of gods and creation is actually the result of just one God and it's not the result of these gods battling each other. It's just the one God exerting his will. So I'm going to push this question here and say, is the Genesis account saying that there aren't other gods or is it only saying that God's the biggest and baddest of them? Yes. Yeah, no, that's a fair question. Actually, it's a whole another conversation we could have is, uh, the gods quote unquote in, uh, the Old Testament, the language we tend to use is yeah, in some ways more clear, in some ways more confusing. Um, but yeah, because the word Elohim is thrown around a lot, which means the God. It's, it's a really weird word. Uh, it's like a plural and a singular word put together. We, we use that to mean the Trinity. Is that how? Yeah, I mean, some of the passages can be construed as like Trinitarian, but a lot of them are like... Yeah, Yahweh takes his place among the gods. Mm-hmm. And then the other, I mean, the other idea is that though it's called the royal we, mm-hmm. that kings would use we when speaking just about themselves because they were like multiple people, mm-hmm. if that makes sense. And so it might be that God is just, he's so great that he is used in the plural or he's talked about in the plural because he's like multiple. Yeah. He's like, he's... He's a god worth multiple gods, essentially, I think would be the argument. Yeah, and I think it's a little bit outside the bounds of this discussion. Like, well, well, let's not go all the way down that yeah. rabbit trail. But, um, yeah, I think Genesis 1 really in the, in the context of saying, like, whatever gods there are, they're nothing compared to the god, Yahweh, who is the creator god. Um, our god is way stronger He's than your better. gods. Yeah. Yeah, yeah and I was thinking about there's, a, there's an account... 
and you might be able to clarify where this was, but it was a war account with Israel and one of the, the nations in the promised land or whatever. Mm, yeah. And they are like prevailing. And then the king of the city that they're yeah. beginning to prevail against sacrifices his son. Yeah. And then and the battle goes against them. Then the battle goes against them. It's yeah. almost like there's like supernatural powers. Yeah. That are yeah. activated by the human sacrifice of this, Certainly. you know, yeah. um, false god. But yeah. and there's lots of other passages that are like it's just wood and stone, like. Yeah. <laughs> so it's it's kind of a confusing thing. But we we do recognize as Christians that there are spiritual forces. Yeah. Of evil. Yeah. But that they were created good and fallen, as yeah. opposed to evil from the start or creative forces of evil. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's a good way of summarizing it. I like what one of my professors said. He said, uh, black magic isn't forbidden because it's stupid and isn't really anything. It's forbidden because sometimes it works. Mm, yeah. Yeah, it's trying to get the evil spiritual beings on your side. Yeah. And sometimes that works, but that doesn't mean you should do it. Yeah. yeah. Anyways, hopefully that wasn't too much of a <laughs> sidetrack. You can cut it out if it was. It's oh, just a... So you mentioned that the Enuma Elish was uh, something that people might be familiar with, but I would say most people have probably never heard about this nerdy ancient history of um, other ancient Near East origin stories. So why don't you give us a little bit more information about that? Sure. <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, it's it's a, a Babylonian creation epic. So by epic, I mean it's way longer than the account of Genesis. It's like... 900 lines it's really long and you can actually read it for yourself you can find it online i mean the long and short of it is it's actually like very long and gets a little bit convoluted along the way but in summary form it is that creation is the result of gods fighting each other um and then one of the significant differences between the enuma leash and genesis is the account of humanity so in the enuma leash it's like hey the gods are like we need some slaves Let's make humans or get humans to do that work. And then there's even an account of the gods getting really annoyed at the humans because they're so loud and annoying. Versus Genesis 1 has a very different view of humans. Yeah, humans are basically the crown of creation. They're created and given, you know, agency and I would, how do you say that? Vice regency? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, we're made in, um, made in God's image. And the Hebrew word is actually like, the same word that's used like in the Ten Commandments that says like don't make idols, that's the same word, um, the word image there. So it's almost like don't make idols because there's only one image of God on earth and it's humans. Like God has already made something in his image, therefore you're not supposed to make anything else in his image because humans image him. But yeah, it's an incredibly high role. I think part of that is like the idea that idols are supposed to be like the presence of God mm -hmm. where they are. That's why people would make idols out of wooden stones so that they would have God, their God's presence yeah. in their house or in their field or whatever. And so it's kind of like the idea that where a human is, the presence of God is supposed to be also. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and T. Wright says um, that humans, when you look at what the image of God means and how it's used in scripture, it's like this idea of that we're supposed to be the priests of creation. In other words, we are supposed to reflect God's rule to the world, almost like an angled mirror, like show the world what God is like and rule the world the way God himself would. And then also to reflect creation back to God, to gather up the praises of creation and um, kind of be the go-between 
and bring that and mediate that back to God. I think part of it is also like humans being given the ability to create and have an imagination Mm -hmm. where they can be like mini creators and that in some way like by us tending the garden or building up creation in unique ways that that is part of, I don't know, what Tentirite probably means by gathering. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because like, if, if you turn the page to the end of the story um, in Revelation, it talks about you know, like the, the kings of the nations bringing the glory of the nations into this heavenly city, um, the New Jerusalem. So it's basically talking about like the gifts and goods of our work, for one. Um, and the products of that and bringing those back to God being like, look what we made and created with all the stuff you gifted us with. So what else stands out to you guys from how other ancient creation stories like the Enuma Elish taught about the nature of the world or humans or the gods versus Genesis 1 and what it has to say? Yeah, I mean, I think the main one for me is like order versus disorder. Mm -hmm. I think that's like the biggest contrast because one is like, oops, creation's kind of an accident or Mm -hmm. it came out of this fight. Whereas it was like in Genesis, God literally was like, I choose to do this and I speak it into creation and I call it good. Yeah. Like it's all Mm -hmm. kind of put together. So yeah, I think the chaos obviously comes in with the fall and like that's kind of a a later it's it's not immediately with creation is chaos it's god kind of taking things making something out of nothing making order out of chaos yeah um so i think that's that's the one that stands out most to me i think partly because i like the scientific side of like things go downhill you know like the what is that principle (laughs) entropy entropy like where things are decaying essentially and that anything that you know is ordered Mm-hmm. It actually is harder Tends to get order. Disorder over time. Yeah, and just like that, that our God is a God of creative order. Yeah, that's really cool. No, that's cool. I think I really like that idea, and I think kind of coming from that is the purpose of people, mm-hmm. which we kind of talked about, with like the slavery yeah. versus the um, the image bearers, but also in talking about what sin is coming mm-hmm. out of this, where like sin in or like the the bad things that you do in the new malaysia account would probably be more of like taking ownership of things creating things you know not just doing exactly what you're told mm-hmm. while sin in kind of like the biblical account is bringing disorder to the universe mm-hmm. not following god's set out ideas of order and goodness mm-hmm. yeah yeah i would say too i think there's a um, that slavery mindset of like humanity is enslaved because of the needs of the gods. Mm-hmm. Whereas God, almost God, God doesn't need anything. Yeah. God is this all sufficient God who created for other reasons. Yeah. I mean, he had reasons for creating, but it wasn't out of his need or his desire for personal service. And then I think that's just reflected again in Jesus who came not mm-hmm. to be served, but to serve like yeah. God isn't, a God who needs service from us. So yeah, it reminds me of when Paul is in Athens and he's speaking to the Gentiles. Yeah, Areopagus, exactly. That's what I was going to (laughs) say. But when he was speaking, he, um, this is part of his quote, and you can find it in Acts 17, uh, 24. It says, The God who made the world and everything in it is the Lord of heaven and earth and does not live in temples built by human hands. 
And he's not served by human hands as if he needed anything. Rather, he himself gives everyone life and breath and everything else. So there you go. As a God who gives as opposed yeah. to a God who takes. Yeah. No, huge difference. Kind of just setting aside the Enuma leash now and just thinking about the average walking around ancient person as far as you know about the context and what kinds of things that person would think of, um, what are other differences that stand out to you? Like, what is Genesis 1 really trying to drive home? And what would have been, like, shocking and amazing to an ancient person about what Genesis 1 teaches? I think the ancient person is probably pretty concerned with subsistence. Mm -hmm. And so the idea that someone is created for more than just existing is probably pretty big. Yeah, I mean, I think that elevated place, because I think, especially in ancient times, there was a big lower class, a.k.a. Mm-hmm. non-status class. Yeah. <laughs> um, I, I think it's almost hard to grasp that understanding in an American culture where we live, where, you know, no matter where you were from, you could make it to the top is kind of like the American dream, quote unquote. Mm-hmm. But I feel like that's not what it was like back then. It was like, you're scum and you're going to be scum and your kids are going to be scum too. It's more like, no matter where you're from, you have a 50% chance of your children reaching adulthood and not starving. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, that's pretty terrible. I don't know why I laughed at that. (laughs) But I just feel like that is like a, like to be elevated to... That every single human has this amazingly elevated role. Is that what you're getting at? Yeah, the elevated role of being an image bearer and also the elevated role of being an intentional creation, I want to say. Mm-hmm. Um, that, that's what stands out to me. Yeah. The other thing is probably that the sea was mm-hmm. seen as something really dangerous yeah. and sketchy and chaotic and scary. Yeah. And the fact that God like intentionally creates it and it's part of order and not a part of chaos mm-hmm. is yeah. probably pretty different. Yeah, yeah. It's like the, the Aslan's of wild lion kind of thing like mm-hmm. the wildness is part of god's good creation yeah. another thing i appreciate is like how most ancient cultures worshiped the sun and the moon and sometimes even the stars mm-hmm. as like gods um you know like think of egyptians worshiping Ra, the sun god like that's very common in the ancient world and the bible um in genesis 1 talks about them as the greater light and the lesser light because like Guys, those are just lights. One's brighter than the other. They're not beings. They're not like, yeah, that's pretty cool. I like that. Yeah, I mean, I think that was a really common thing, right? To worship creation or aspects mm-hmm. of creation. Yep. So the fertility of the ground. Yeah. And they'd have like a whole cult around how to serve the gods of the fields or whatever so that mm-hmm. they could. Isn't that the balls? Yeah. Yeah. The fertility gods or the balls. I mean, they were considered like storm gods or yeah. 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 But just like, nope, the one God made it all. Yeah. It reminds me of Jonah on the boat when he's explaining to these sailors and like, they're like, what is going on? This is a terrible storm. We've never seen anything like this in our entire careers as sailors. Mm. And he's like, I'm running away from the God who created everything, the earth and the, like the sea. And they're like, whoa, what did you do? (laughs) But like they didn't didn't have a concept of one being that could possibly Mm -hmm. be big enough to have created the earth Mm -hmm. and the sea. Yeah. Yeah. That's something I had never appreciated on my own. Like I I was taught this from numerous people, but um, a really cool thing about Genesis one is how it talks about God resting on the seventh day. And that as a clue to uh, the story that Genesis 1 is telling 
is that when God creates the world, um, it's actually like cast in the same way that other uh, ancient peoples would talk about the creations of their temples and the temples to gods. Um, so there were often seven-day celebrations of the inauguration um, of setting up a temple and worshiping the god. And then also just the, the whole theme of rest um, in the ancient world. Like you had a temple and that's where your god rested. And so when it says on the seventh day God rested, the idea is like God has created this world and he wants to live with us and be with us. And he, like the whole earth is his temple. Like his presence, like heaven and earth are totally filling the same space at this point. And so the whole earth is God's dwelling place. And then, you know, you turn to Genesis 3 and it's driven apart through the fall. But what Jesus comes to do is to restore that and bring heaven to earth again. That's beautiful. So some suggested resources for you if you want to study this further. Uh, We already mentioned this in the last podcast, but the Exploring My Strange Bible podcast by Tim Mackey. He has an episode on science and faith uh, where he talks a lot about these. Um, If you're feeling extra nerdy, you can also read the Enuma Leash for yourself online. We'll give you a link there along with some articles about it. Um, It's kind of tough to get through, but it can be actually really cool to see how it's similar to Genesis 1 in some ways and kind of their understanding of the way the world worked and the structure of the world, but then so different in the story of how many gods are there really and what are they like and uh, what are these humans and what's their role in the world. So as always, we want to end with kind of like application question, like how does this matter? How can How is this a practical thing to talk about or are we just saying words? So um, if we really believed this deeply, um, the idea that that the story is talking about order versus chaos and the image of God being in all people and how powerful God is and how the earth is as itself a temple, how might those things change or challenge the way we view the world or how we exist in it? I mean, the biggest challenge for me is, uh, I think what, what the image of God, um, means, especially the fact that when you read through the story in Genesis three, is the fall and everything breaks. But then even after the fall, you turn um, after the account of Noah in Genesis 9 and we find out that still, even after the fall and after the flood, that every single human is still in God's image. Like the image of God is this enduring thing that gives intrinsic value and worth and dignity to every single human being you come across. And so I just think that is a very challenging truth in that like if you learn to view every single person you come across as someone who has amazing value and worth because they're made in God's image, I think at least for me, it would, it would change the way I, um, not always treat people. I'm not a jerk to people, but sometimes I think about people in ways that are unloving or unkind, especially, you know, when they cut me off in traffic or things like that. Yeah. I think for me, it's partly remembering the greatness of God. I feel like having been raised as a Christian, I feel like it's sometimes easy to take for granted, like, oh yeah, God created everything and there's one God and blah, 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 you know, like where you just kind of, that's just part of the history that you've grown up with Mm -hmm. learning. And, um, yeah, sometimes I don't, I want to say appreciate the creativeness of God and what he chose to do. And I think I could grow in appreciating that more. Yeah. For me, I think it's the idea of like order versus disorder. Only because I 
don't really have a problem with living in like disorder and I have trouble like for me personally like creating order in the spaces around me mm. and so I think trying to lean into that and lean into the the orderedness mm -hmm. of creation and how order is good I don't know if that makes sense mm -hmm. <laughs> doesn't mean that you need to put everything in a, in a line or anything yeah. Marie Kondo for the win <laughs> Yeah, yeah, I don't think it's saying like you have to be a neat freak if you're a Christian. Yeah, but like just like having like my life more ordered. If that, I don't know if that, that makes, makes sense. sense. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I would say like for instance, creative spaces. It's easier to be creative if there's order to your space. Mm -hmm. So if you know where your paintbrush is when you need a paintbrush, it's a lot easier to paint than if yeah. you have to spend twenty minutes searching for your paintbrush or whatever. Well, and it has been proven like if you have like a messy. Place, it's harder to focus and more difficult to thrive and do good work and think well or relate well to mm -hmm. others even. This is why everyone goes to coffee shops because no one has clean homes. <laughs> Probably. <laughs> so in a minute we're going to close this podcast and uh, Janelle's going to read Psalm 8 as a reflection on who is this Lord God that we worship? Who is this creator God? Because we believe that this is really what Genesis 1 is trying to teach us. And so we also want to encourage you to spend five to ten minutes this week um, at some point um, worshiping God and reflecting on his greatness and his goodness. And um, maybe even as part of that worship, we encourage you to read through Genesis 1, reflecting on what is this teaching about who God is, who is this God I am worshiping, and spend some time praying or worshiping him or just considering how good he is. Um, it's up to you how best you express worship to God, um, but spend five to ten minutes worshiping this good, amazing, awesome creator God. Or longer. Amazing God. Give him five minutes. Yeah. I don't know. <laughs> five to ten? Five, five to, to ten. ten. Five to ten. Okay. This, this range. He's trying to give an option. Yeah. Oh, there you go. Make it complete. At least five minutes. All right. In closing, I'm going to read Psalm 8. Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. You have set your glory in the heavens. Through the praise of children and infants, you have established a stronghold against your enemies to silence the foe and the avenger. When I consider your heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars which you have set in place, what is mankind that you are mindful of them, human beings that you care for them? You have made them a little lower than the angels and crowned them with glory and honor. You made them rulers over the works of your hands. You put everything under their feet all flocks and herds and the animals of the wild, the birds in the sky and the fish in the sea and all that swim in the paths of the seas. Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. <laughs>